This evening, I want to encourage all you girls and ladies, my daughters, my sisters, and my mothers in Christ to be great women in the earth. Only one time in the Bible do we have the combination great woman. And that is the Shunammite in the city of Shunem that made a bedroom for Elisha. She was called a great woman. She's called a great woman there not for her character, but for her estate. She had the means to take care of any travelers. And anyone in town got bread at her house. And when she found out that the man she was giving bread to periodically was a prophet of God, she asked her husband very discreetly, and it's a wonderful chapter. It's one of the, one of the longer descriptions of a woman in the Bible. Second Kings chapter 4, she said, can we build a, could we put an addition on our house? Another little bedroom for the prophet of God. Can we put a bed in there, a table, a candle for the man of God? And the man of God was so moved by this kindness of a great woman that he asked his servant Gehazi, what can we do for this woman? Call her and ask. Can we speak to the king for her? Can we speak to the captain of the host? And she said, I dwell among my own people. I have family here. I'm happy. I'm content. I don't need anything. And Gehazi told Elisha, she doesn't have any children, and her husband's old. And the man of God said to that great woman, this time next year, after the time of life, you will embrace a son. And she did. And then that son died when he was a little boy, and Elisha raised him to life again. It's a wonderful story. Second Kings chapter 4, that's a great woman there. She's a great woman, not only in a state, but when you read about her, she was a great woman in character. When her little boy died, most women, hmm, brother, listen to this. God just gave this to you and me. It's not, in, it's not part of my sermon. When the little boy died, she went out to her husband and said, she prayed him. She prayed him, I, may I have one of the young men and a mule to take me to the man of God. And her husband, we don't know much about him, but he said, it's not a holiday and it's not a Sabbath day. And she said, all will be well. And she took off. She told the young man, she said, you'd ride as fast as you can until I say slow down, you go as fast as you can. Right. Now Elisha's a prophet. He sees the woman coming a long way off, long before she was in his vicinity. And he sent Gehazi to ask if all was well. And she said, all is well. Because she didn't want to talk to Gehazi. She kept on coming, 40 miles an hour on her mule. And when she got to Elisha, she grabbed him by the feet. And she begged for Elisha to have mercy on her. And he did. She went to the Lord and to the man of God. And she did it in a very humble way. She went and asked her husband's permission and she went straight to the man of God, did not want to talk to anyone else, would not even talk to the man of God's servant. But wait till she got to the man of God. It's a lengthy story, Second Kings 4. Brother, it may be useful. And she got her son back. And what a, what a great story that is, when Elisha went in and laid himself upon the dead child, and he sneezed seven times and was back to life, and he gave him back to his mother. Second Kings chapter 4, a great woman. 
I've reduced the points tonight to just four big ones that I hope you can remember. Can you go away with four points and try to remember them? What a great woman ought to be. My goal is to encourage you. You women can do very much to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in the year 2005. You can promote the true gospel by your lives. You can reprove the world, and I've mentioned this in recent sermons. You can remind them of the glory of a woman, and you can defend the truth of God by your lives. You can help your husbands be great men. You can raise boys to become great men. And you can provoke men to holiness by being holy women. It's hard not to be more spiritually minded when you've got spiritually minded women pressing you. And I think the men will agree with me. You can earn the favor of God and honor of men and women in this life and the reward of God our Father in the world to come by being holy women. Mothers, sisters and daughters, I desire each of you to be that great woman in the earth for our Lord. A great woman in the earth turns the head not of pagan dogs, but turns the head of a holy God who takes recognition of them in Scripture and calls them holy women. He puts them in his hall of faith. He has them listed by his apostles, and they are dear and important to him. And a holy woman can turn the heads of all good men and women because she is a glorious, wonderful creature. And you will forever turn the heads and hearts of your husband and your children if you're a holy and a virtuous woman because Proverbs 31 tells me that. May you set before you the goal of growing in favor with God and men by being a holy woman in the earth in 2005. What is a great woman? Is it the combined beauty and wisdom of Abigail? Or the maternal spirituality of Lois and Eunice? Is a great woman... Mary of Bethany, for her spiritual eagerness to hear the words of Jesus Christ, or the forgiven devotion and faithfulness of Mary Magdalene? Is a great woman the combined beauty and faith of Sarah, or the humble suffering and meekness of Leah? Is a great woman... Phoebe, the diligent servant of Paul and of others that he took recognition of in Romans 16? Or is it the desperate and devoted Hannah, who so much wanted a child that she gave him to the Lord? Is it the virtuous woman in all her perfections of Proverbs 31? Or is it holy Anna, who gave herself to the Lord for a very, very long life? after her husband died when she was a very young woman? Or is a great woman the woman who bathed the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ with her tears and her kisses? Or is it the bold and eager Rebecca, who when she knew that it was the will of God for her to leave with a stranger and marry a stranger, she said, let's go. Or is a great woman the faithful Rahab, the harlot who saved her whole family by defying her whole city's religion and believing on the God of Israel and lying to the rulers of her city to protect the spies? Or is it virtuous Ruth for leaving 
her whole family to follow the Lord in Israel. Is it the great Shunammite that I just told you about that made a room for Elisha? Or is it the Shulamite that pleased Solomon so well in the Song of Solomon? Is a great woman, Lydia, the professional woman, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who was in Philippi, where she housed the Apostle Paul, Luke, and the rest of the company that were with them? Or is it the faithful and beautiful Esther that had Haman hung to preserve God's people and risked her life to do it? Is a great woman the fearless and zealous jail? Or the fearless, submissive, and virgin daughter of Jephthah? Is a great woman the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, Mary, or the Syrophoenician woman that would not be discouraged by apostles or the Lord himself until she obtained her blessing? Is a great woman, Dorcas, with widows all gathered around her deathbed because of all that she had done to serve them? Or is it a Priscilla that helped convert an Apollos to be a mighty preacher of the gospel in the New Testament. Is a great woman, Deborah, who had to be judge of Israel because the men were all wimps? Or was it Samson's mother that gave them a judge, raised according to the specific instructions of the angel? Is it Elizabeth, who walked before the Lord blameless? Or is it Damaris, who walked away from the Areopagus with Dionysius. Those are 28 great women. Is it one of them, or is it all of them? Aren't they all wonderful? Don't they stir our imagination? I want them to stir the imagination of every woman in here, and every girl. Forget any Hollywood actress. All of them combined are trash in comparison to any one of what I just listed. They're whores and sluts. They have no fear of God. They're human cesspools, physically, spiritually, emotionally. They're drug addicts. They're silicone stuffed. Forget all of them. Let these women motivate you and excite you and be your goal for your life. To be like them. To join them in heaven as the holy women of God. And before you get to heaven, to be on earth holy women like them. There are, there is no comparison that I can give you, and I can't give you a, a 17 magazine that's going to have any women to compare to these. Right. Or are there other women that I can give you from the Bible that help you girls and women know what you don't want to be? Which women come to mind when you know the character traits you don't want to have? Is it Mrs. Job and her sarcastic ridicule of her husband? And wouldn't stand with him when she had lost everything? Or is it the obsessed with the world Mrs. Lot, who could not go forward without looking back and turn into a pillar of salt? Those are two traits and two women you don't want to be like. Is it the odious woman that the world cannot stand? Or the widows that are dead while they live 
as the Bible says, living carnal lives. Is it the haughty and status-conscious Michael who ridiculed her husband when he danced before the Lord? Or is it Jezebel with hatred and evil in her heart that forced and made and moved her husband to do much wickedness in Israel? Is it the perfectly dolled up ladies of Isaiah chapter 3 that God despised and promised that he would expose and destroy them in their secret parts and expose them to the world because they wanted to emphasize their looks over their spirit? Or is it the strange woman of Proverbs that Solomon has to warn young men about so many times? Do all of you women hate these women? And are you purposed in your heart to be very different from all of them? Is it Herodias who committed adultery with her husband's brother? Or was it Vashti who would not submit to her husband? Does, do, those, do these women arouse fury in your hearts, women, against women who betrayed your sex and are wicked in the Bible and set up as examples of unholy women? Is it the daughters of Sodom that had too much idleness, much like the daughters of America in 2005? God burned up Sodom, not just because men were working with men, that which is unseemly, but, but because the women loved idleness and were lazy. Or is it the daughters of this world enticing men in Genesis chapter 6 and ruining the earth? Because the men that called upon the name of the Lord could not resist the daughters of men. Is it Delilah that ruined one good man for money? Or Mrs. Potiphar that tried it merely for pleasure? Those are wicked women in the Bible. There's 14 of them. They ought to arouse fury and resentment and rejection in all of your hearts. I've given you 28 good ones, holy women. I've given you 20, 14 bad ones, unholy women. Where are you going to set yourself? What company will you be in? Will you be at the front of the 28? What's a great woman? She's a woman in favor with God and men. She's the opposite of what Solomon described as the strange woman and the odious woman. She can be a great testimony for the truth of the gospel when, women, when men see and other women see a real woman. She is a glorious thing in her fear of the Lord, in her graciousness, in her diligence, and in her generation of children and grandchildren that fear the Lord, her influence in the world. A great woman is a great thing. Every little girl in here ought to be looked at as a future great woman. We ought to take care of them, protect them. No one touches our girls. You know, in close families, brothers all agree and the girls know, and anyone that dates the girls know, if you mess with that girl, you're going to have to deal with her brothers. Well, all of you girls have a lot of brothers in this church, Amen. and no one's going to mess with you. Amen. If you will help us by not running away and thinking that you can pick some guy that's going to take care of you, we will help you get some guy that will take care of you, and we will protect you from wicked young men. Amen. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. God has made me a minister of the New Testament, and so I want to go there and look at some of the descriptions of great women. It will not be long. I know I say that, so it doesn't mean very much. I say it often, but uh, I have a goal again. My intentions are good. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I want to read to you a description of widows indeed. 
Now, these women are widows, but these are women that have been married. They wouldn't be a widow. So they've been married, and they're great women, because these women were given a special place in the church, not only for their function of prayer and service, but also for their financial support by the church. I want you women to know that God takes care of great women. A great woman who loses her husband will be supported by this church full on a full time, full support. You will be giving yourself to prayer and service of the church, but we will support you. The God of heaven made arrangements for that. We don't need this country's Medicare, Medicaid or welfare to take care of our widows. And if the churches of Jesus Christ all practice the Bible religion, we wouldn't need it. And we will do it. But I want you to see the, the list of qualifications because it helps us understand what a great woman is. And all of you girls and women, this is, these are some of the lists that we're going to look at just for you to see. This is what God ranks highly and what we're going to rank highly. Right. Now, young men, you know, I'm talking to the women, but I'm telling you what you ought to be looking for. Right. And you will not accept anything less than what I'm describing. There's three of you right there. Is that right? I'm going to give you a list throughout this sermon of what you ought to look for in a woman. And so you set your standard high to what I'm going to give you. The women are being told what they ought to do, but you set your goals high that you won't marry below these goals. Amen. You marry below these goals, and they'll pull you down. Marry high by these goals. 1 Timothy chapter 5. The qualification of a widow indeed. Look at verse 5. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God. The first thing we want to know about a holy woman, they trust in God. They don't lose their composure. They don't fear the world. They don't fear life because they trust in God. Even though a widow, especially in this day and time, was in a pretty helpless and vulnerable situation, they still trusted in God. Notice it says she was desolate, but trusted in God. A holy woman trusts in the Lord. Verse 5, And she continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. A holy woman who's lost her husband and does not need to tend to him any longer, and she's a woman of faith because she trusts the Lord, what does she spend her time doing? Supplicating and praying to the God of heaven. Verse 6, She's not eager for pleasure like most women that are dead spiritually. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. You know, there were widows that while they were alive, they were dead as far as the apostle was concerned, and they were dead practically as far as the Lord was concerned, because they were too concerned about carnal pleasures in life. And every woman's got to ask herself, if you're too interested in the carnal things of this life, because you will never meet the standard of God's holy women. God's holy women loved spiritual things more than carnal things. Verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old. Here's the point we want. Having been the wife of one man. She is a one-man woman, period. No one gets into the number of these special women that were in the New Testament that were married more than once. I don't even care about legitimate marriages. This is a one-man woman because this was a special office and a special blessing. That's how we understand. There wasn't polyandry in the Bible. It's never been practiced by any nation outside Africa. Polygamy is, is understood in the Bible, and so when it says that he must be the, the husband of one woman, that's condemning polygamy. 
because that would not be an example to the church because it's such an unrighteous and foolish thing to do. But this is a woman that's committed to one man and has been in her life. Verse number 10, well reported of for good works. She's got a public reputation of good works because it's not just that she has good works, it's that everyone knows about them. That's why it says well reported. It's spread far and wide that she has good works. If she's brought up children, that means she's trained children well. That doesn't mean she's just fed them, but she's brought them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord in a way that would be a good work and would please God. If she have lodged strangers, she, she opens up her house. Look at the great woman of Shunem. Anybody that came through Shunem got bread at her table. And as soon as she knew he was an important man, she got a bedroom. That Hospitality. Godly women are full of hospitality. They lodge strangers. Look at Lydia. Did she know Paul before she met him at a riverside? No. As soon as she was baptized, what did she say? If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come home and stay at my house. Amen. A great woman, by the definition of the word of God. She's shown hospitality even to strangers. If she's washed the saints' feet, meaning she's a humble servant in dealing with others. If she have relieved the afflicted, she's always helping those in trouble and difficulty. She goes out of her way to take care of those that are in need. If she have diligently followed every good work. Not barely followed, but diligently followed. This is God's standard. Don't let it intimidate you. Let it excite you that you have a list. And it's a good list. And it's a list that you can do. Here are things in a list for you to be a great woman in the sight of God. Let's go to verse 11, though. Verses 1 through 10 are describing widows indeed. Now, here are some other kind of women that are different in the church. 1 Timothy 5.11, But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Young widows, when their husband first dies, they might commit themselves to be women of prayer and service like Anna was. But the Lord's wise. The Lord knows while they're still young enough and hormones are still in their body that they're going to want to get married and so they're going to wax wanton against Christ. It is not wantonness to want to be married a second time. But it does disqualify you from these special great women. But you know what Paul's advice was? He's going to tell them to go ahead and get married when you're young because the temptation's too great. They'll wax wanton against Christ and they will marry. They're more interested in their lust, and, and, and this is not a condemnation yet, but they're going to be tempted by their lust to go against their commitment to be a woman of faith and prayer for, in the church. They will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And see, their first faith is not being baptized. Their first faith is their commitment after their husband died. They'll, they'll give up on it because they'll want to get remarried. Let's keep going. Verse 13 and withal, because they're interested in pleasure more than the service of God, creatures like Anna are very exceptional. Anna, in Luke chapter 2, is a very exceptional woman. And withal, having cast off their first faith and, and wanting pleasure again in life, they learn to be idle. See, Paul is saying to Timothy, if you put these women on the support of the church, they're going to start dating again while they're on the church, being supported by the church. And with all they learn to be idle, 
wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Now, every girl and woman, there's a little summary verse of things that the apostle wants to warn against, and they're bad things. 1 Timothy 5.13, idleness for a woman or a girl is bad. Girls ought to be kept busy. You know, there's no reason to let a girl lead a pampered life of having lots of time on her hands. Keep her busy. It'll keep her out of trouble. They learn to be idle. They wander about from house to house having tea here and doing this there. And let's chat. So they didn't have phones back then, and they didn't have email. So they wandered from house to house. And not only idle, but they were tattlers also, tail-bearing. That's what tattlers means. They were whispering and bearing bad news about other people and speaking busybodies in other men's matters, speaking things which they ought not. So Paul said, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry. And these are good things. Here's another little list. Young women should marry, they should bear children, and they should guide the house and give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Instead of a woman being tempted by being supported by the church and not having a husband, Paul says, go ahead and get another husband and have some more children and guide the house. Make, keep yourselves busy so that you don't get into trouble. Because if you're not busy enough, those are the four problems in verse 13 you're going to get into. For some are already turned aside after Satan, Paul told Timothy. There's another little list for you women of what you shouldn't do in verse 13 and what you should do in verse 14. To get married and have children is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. The world doesn't emphasize it anymore. They used to. Just a few years ago they did. But the Bible doesn't change. It's still a wonderful thing. And that's what your goals ought to be. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is all in the New Testament. And the Lord did lay out some things for women. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. I love verse 5. For after this manner, the manner of the first four verses, for after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. The standards for women and godly women in the sight of God have not changed at all in thousands of years. Sarah's given as the example, and she was 2,000 years before Peter wrote this. And we're living 2,000 years after Peter wrote it. Nothing's changed. God's holy standard for women's the same. What do we have here in this list of 1 Peter chapter 3? In this manner, tells us to go back to the first four verses. First of all, it tells us in verse 1, they're subject to their own husbands. Are you subject to your husbands and every girl? 
That's what God's chosen for you. First of all, he chose it by making you second for you to help Adam. That's the, that's the arrangement in the Garden of Eden. God made the man first, and then he made the woman to help him. But then the woman blew it badly by listening to the devil and showing her vulnerability, so she's under even greater authority of the man. And so the first choice is to be a great woman, and the great women have always done it. For thousands great women have submitted and subjected themselves to their husbands. It's nothing new. It's not something new taught by this church. It's something new taught by the world. Because this is the way it's always been done in the churches of Jesus Christ and the saints of God. Subject to their own husbands. The second thing it tells us is down in verse 2. While they behold your chaste conversation. That's living a pure life. You think pure thoughts. You speak pure words. You listen to pure music. You read pure material. And you have pure actions in your life. You are pure and holy. Because that's what the word chaste means. To be pure. To be a virgin. To be above reproach. To be clean. Chaste conversation. Coupled with fear. A holy woman fears God and fears her husband. She's in subjection to him. She lives a chaste and holy and pure life. And she's coupled with fear. The the foundation of it is the fear of God and the fear of her husband. And she shows it by her subjection to him. And that fear isn't the fear of an abusive husband. It isn't the fear of being in terror of a husband that's going to hurt you. It's the fear of wanting to please him and respect him and take care of him just like our fear of the Lord means to want to please him and respect him and do what he asks of us. What else does it have in this list? It says in verses 3 and 4 that they're to emphasize in their lifestyle an adorning that is different than doing your hair or putting on makeup or putting on clothes. There's something more important than that, and that is the hidden man of the heart. It's the meek and quiet spirit that is inside a woman. That's what God wants you to emphasize. And so it's mentioned in verses 3 and 4. Who's adorning? A woman can make herself beautiful and attractive, not by new clothes, not by new hair, not by other things that a woman can do that's on the outside, but what she can do with her inside. You can put on something beautiful on the inside that shines through, that helps Earn your favor in the sight of God and men. And you can do it. It's not something that's already been done for you. You can put on that meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And women, everything about your outward appearance is going down. It's decaying. And everyone that's older, you know it because you've already experienced it. But the, the, the hidden woman in the heart, it's not corruptible. It never decays. In fact, in a holy woman, it gets better like good wine. It gets better. Because she keeps putting it on more and more and gets better at it. And the grace of God is with her. 1 Peter chapter 3, it's not corruptible. And that's what a woman ought to emphasize is is the woman on the inside, not the woman on the outside. The, The whole world outside this room, the whole world doesn't even know there is an inside woman. They don't even know there's a hidden man of the heart. There's not a magazine out there about the hidden man of the heart. It's all about what you can paint on the outside or wear on the outside. And listen, that's going down. 
And you know, there's no wonder these women that are getting so many surgical operations as they get older because they put all their emphasis on how they appear and their body's falling apart, so they have to keep getting tacked together over and over again. But you've got something in the Word of God that'll make you beautiful in the sight of God and men. It's the hidden woman. And it comes out. It can be seen and known by God and men. They had reverence for their husbands. In verses 5 and 6, it says they were in subjection, and even Sarah called her husband Lord. And the Bible tells us that when Sarah called her husband Lord, she did it in her own thoughts, thinking about her husband. You can go read about it in the book of Genesis. They had a meek and quiet spirit that was very much their adorning. A woman can... The word adorn means to beautify something as with an ornament. You can adorn yourself by putting on a better spirit. But they did not fear their husbands so much that they were afraid of being abused, nor did they fear their husbands so much that they still couldn't make wise decisions. They were afraid without any amazement in 1 Peter 3, 6. There's a list. That's what a great woman is. She emphasizes what's on the inside. That doesn't mean she forgets what's on the outside. She does both. But her emphasis is on what's on the inside. And may every girl and every woman in here be more concerned about the hidden woman that's on the inside than what's on the outside. We have a lot of beautiful women in our church and beautiful girls. God's already made your outside very attractive. Take care of the inside because that's what he's leaving up to you. He's offering it to you here as something that is great of great price in his sight. Come back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Here's another list. It's my last list from the New Testament. We've been to 1 Timothy 5. We've been to 1 Peter chapter 3. And now we're going to 1 Timothy 2. We want to go to verse 9. Now, Peter wrote 1 Peter 3. Paul wrote this. It's going to be amazing how similar they sound. Is there a reason for that? Amen. There's one author of this book. Amen. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters and moved upon a rib from Adam. And here's what the Spirit of God had Paul write in 1 Timothy 2.9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. This verse tells us that godly women adorn themselves in modest apparel. And adorn does not mean how dowdy can I look. Adorn does not mean how dumpy I can look. Adorn means to beautify yourself as with an ornament. So it means to look good, but to do it with modest apparel. Then it goes on to describe your demeanor shamefacedness and sobriety, which is to be modest and reserved and grave. You're serious about life. You're modest. You don't talk a lot. You don't push yourself forward. You're reticent and you're reserved. This is the demeanor of a godly woman, a great woman. She doesn't emphasize the outward appearance, just like Peter wrote, but she emphasizes good works. She adorns herself with good works, good things that you do. And there are some young girls in this church that have already learned it. They write letters, don't they? They write letters encouraging older, us older folks. 
They're already thinking of serving others, and they're already having good works put on their name, and it elevates them above the rest of the girls because they're showing the character of a holy woman. They adorn themselves with good works. They learn in quiet submission, verse 11 says, with all subjection. You're willing to submit yourself to the men that teach you, your father, your husband, your pastor, and you do it because you know that's what the Word of God teaches, no matter what the rest of the world might think. And you know that there's not going to be a teaching role for you, and so you submit and become a learner, as the Bible teaches. Those are, those are some pastors of the Bible that give us some lists. Now let me give you four things and we're done. Four things that I hope you can remember that are very simple and you already know. You know, I was talking to Sherry. I said, I feel so embarrassed about my sermon. I don't have anything new for the women. But you know, if I, if I preach the Bible faithfully, there isn't anything new to give you except new from the Word of God. And sometimes it will strike every one of you new. Right. And I hope that it will. You know, Peter and Paul both said that they wanted to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And so that's what I'm giving you. And if there's something new, then the Lord be praised. I've organized this a little differently, but I hope that you can benefit from it. The first thing that a woman, a great woman is, this is very simple. But we want to lay hold of it. And we don't ever want to forget what's number one. What makes a great woman? She fears the Lord. She fears the Lord. And that's the expression we use. She fears the Lord. And we'll explain that. But every young man, you want to marry someone that fears the Lord. That means she makes all of her decisions based on what God would want her to do and what is revealed in the Bible, not what the world would want her to do, nor what she feels like. She makes her decisions to honor God. She fears the Lord. She is spiritually minded like Mary. A great woman is like Mary in Luke chapter 10, when Martha wanted to be running around in the kitchen making sure that everything was just so on the table, there was another woman that sacrificed things just so on the table in order to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to hear him speak. That is a great woman. That is a woman that fears the Lord because she loves the son of that Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. She wants to know all she can about Jesus Christ. She is not afraid of men in any way. She fears God more than she fears men. When there is a choice between the two, she obeys God and not men. Who's our great example of that in the Bible? Abigail. When her husband was going to kill David, she obeyed God, not her husband. She got a, a great gift together to appease him, and she went out there to save her family and her household and to save David from sinning. She didn't tell her husband because she did what was right. She obeyed God. And I want all of you women to be like that. You don't have to be a doormat for your husbands, especially when it comes to sin. Stand up for righteousness and for God. We aren't going to be a doormat for our government or anyone else that tells us when we're going to supposed to disobey the word of God, we're going to obey God rather than men, and you are to do that as well. And see, it comes back to the fear of the Lord. You fear the Lord so much, all you care about is you want to please Him. But a woman that fears the Lord is going to believe what the Lord said in the Bible and she's going to trust men to help protect her from her own vulnerability and weakness. What does the Bible tell a woman to do when she wants to learn something? Speak out in church and ask a question or to go home and ask her husband? That's what the Bible says. 
And so a good woman that fears the Lord knows that. A woman that fears the Lord is a woman of prayer. Now I want to, who are the best examples of prayer in the Word of God? What women, and I've already mentioned their names earlier. Now there's one that exceeds them all. And she's in Luke chapter 2. What was her name? Anna. She continued in supplications and prayer day and night for about, I don't know, 84 years. Is that what it says there? It is, it is an incredible woman. But who else prayed? Who else prayed in 1 Samuel 2, verse 10 verses? This Hannah. One of the most awesome prayers in the Bible. A woman uttered it. Did she get a request? That prayer was after she got a request. And she was blessing the Most High, who, who she said could raise you up from a dunghill and she could take princes down because the Lord God of heaven had raised up Hannah and put Peninnah down. Do you know what they had to read in the newspaper? And I've said this before. For all the years of those two women being the wives of Elkanah, do you know what they had to read in the paper? That Hannah's son was the judge and prophet and priest of Israel. Did Hannah get any more children for giving Samuel to the Lord? Five more. Praise the Lord. He's great because she was a great woman of prayer. Are you a woman of prayer like Hannah, like Anna? And the other example that I take from the Word of God is Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go read how she spoke to Elizabeth when they met in Luke chapter 2. Oh, You fear the Lord. What can a woman do to improve in her fear of the Lord? You can be a woman of the Word of God. You can read the Word of God every day. You can meditate upon it every day. You can pray every day. You can love Bible doctrine, which is the teaching done in this church. And you can be about teaching others. Because, that it isn't other men, but you women can be provoking each other in the Word of the Lord, and that will increase your fear of God. You can't be a woman that fears the Lord if you have worldly friends. It is impossible. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you emphasize bodily exercise, esteem activities, love clothes, value family too highly, care too much for your husband, or get too excited about a career, you will lose your fear of the Lord. That doesn't mean you don't love your husband. For those, I'm not going to deal with the exceptions. I'm, I'm talking to wise women that understood what I just said. That understand 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that says to be as if they had no husbands, or to be as if they had no wives. That's how you can fear the Lord. You want to lay hold of that. A great woman fears God. She always wants to please God, obey His Word, and loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and is spiritually minded. That is the fear of the Lord. Don't ever marry without it. If you marry a woman without it, she is going to do whatever she wants to in your marriage. If you marry a woman that fears the Lord, she is going to do what God told her to do in your marriage, And God told her to be one great woman for you. Don't settle for less. You're going to ship your sink. You're going to you're going to sink your ship right off the bat. Marry a woman that fears the Lord. Second thing, she needs to be gracious. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Under graciousness, I'm going to include the meek and quiet spirit, the hidden woman of the heart, and all the things that go along with it. Proverbs chapter 11. What is graciousness? You know, it's a word that we sometimes can't get our hands around, so I give you a lot of synonyms for it. 
Here's what graciousness means from, the, from a dictionary and from a Bible combined. Graciousness includes courtesy, humility, discretion, politeness, kindness, cheerfulness, agreeableness, charming ways, winning grace, reservation, meekness, gentleness, condescension, becoming manner, well-bred, responsive, friendly, meek, tolerant, prudent, attractive, polished. Graciousness is a big, broad word, but let's look at it here in the Bible. Let's look at verse 16. Proverbs eleven sixteen. a gracious woman retaineth honor. Now that's only five words long, and I've preached about that, but a gracious woman who has the character traits that I just lent, that I just listed is always going to be highly esteemed. It's this simple. It's like the law of gravity. Apples fall down. And a woman that is gracious will always be esteemed. You can wear whatever you want. You can wiggle any way you want, but you're not going to be esteemed. If you want to be esteemed, here is the solution. You put on graciousness. And it's to put on that meek and quiet spirit that is in the sight of God of great price. It's that simple. Five words, Proverbs eleven sixteen. Lay hold of it. Do you want to be great? Gracious. If you don't talk very much, then you need to learn to talk. Because being silent when somebody's standing in front of you trying to have a conversation is incredibly cruel and painful. If you talk too much, then you need to learn how to talk less in order to be gracious. Because it's a meek and quiet spirit. Are you critical? Are you obnoxious? Are you pushy? Are you opinionated? All those things cost you your graciousness. A gracious woman retains honor. She's always honorable. We jump down to verse 22. As a jewel of gold and a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which was without discretion. Here's a woman that looks great. A woman that looks great, but she's not gracious. She's not kind. She's not gentle. She's not sweet. She's not agreeable. She's not cheerful. She's not conversant. She doesn't have courtesy or politeness. Though she's very beautiful, look how the Lord describes her. She's a great big hairy sow. And her beauty is just the gold ring in her nose. Now that's not a very nice comparison. But women, which do you want to be? The beautiful woman of verse 16 that is loved by everyone, always in honor. Or the beautiful woman because you've got nice clothes and you put your makeup on. This is, this is all we see, is a ring in the nose of a big, hairy, stinky sow. That is the word of the Lord. Learn graciousness. Gracious, you know what you'd need to do to learn graciousness? You would need to go write down those 20 adjectives that I used as synonyms and think about them and say, which one of these am I the weakest in? I need to change. I want to be gracious. I heard his words. I know he's right. I've met gracious women. And when you meet them, you want to be around them. They're warm. They're wonderful. They make you feel secure. You'd do anything for them. You can read all the little stupid, stupid trash magazines you want. I hope you don't read any of them. But you'll never get the wisdom that is in the Word of God about how to be a great woman. Amen. And that's how to learn to be gracious. That's second. That gracious spirit includes the meek and quiet spirit that we've already read that is of great price in the sight of God. It includes the shame-faced and sober Spirit demeanor of the woman in First Timothy chapter 2. Because a gracious woman is modest. She is reserved. 
She isn't pushing herself on anyone. It includes the reverence and subjection she owes her husband because she's gracious. She obeys her husband. She reverences him. A gracious woman never is... Now, this is the word I'm going to use. A gracious woman is never indiscreet, foolish, moody, stubborn, pouting, angry, or unconventional. She's never out of balance by being too carnal and vain or overmuch righteous and too holy. What can she do to improve? What can you do to be more gracious? Talk less, if you talk a lot. Be agreeable, humble, submissive, cheerful, serving, and selfless. Never talk about yourselves. Always talk about others and be concerned about them. You'll be gracious. Every man and woman will want to be near you. You'll have more friends than you can deal with if you're gracious. What can she do to miss it? Be indiscreet, be off the wall, be stubborn, be moody, or be too reserved. You're painful to be around. And, and I'm, I told you it was going to be encouraging. Didn't okay, let's go back to verse 16 then. A gracious woman retaineth honor. That's where I want to leave it. You can do those things and be more gracious. This is a great woman in the earth. This is what God picked out. I love what he picked out. When you look up the definition of the word gracious and you go read the New Testament about its definition of the hidden woman on the inside, it's wonderful language. And, and, for, and when you've met women that are odious and you've met women that are gracious and you know the difference. And listen, the restaurants were wonderful training grounds. Every day we got to see it. And we would talk about it. When, when you meet people, you've got to just make a decision. Now that woman is odious. Our words were, hey sons, how would you like to wake up with that in the morning? You know, that was our word for an odious woman. Because nobody in their right mind would, you know, this is better. That's what the book of Proverbs tells you. It's better to be out in the wilderness than to wake up with that woman. You don't have to be that way, girls. You can choose to be gracious. Right now, I'm going to be gracious. All you young girls, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be just what you're describing. I want to learn more about that. Number three, she's diligent. She works hard. If we go to Proverbs chapter 31... And we read the description of the virtuous woman. What does it say more than anything else about the character of that woman? She works hard. And listen, women, if you'll work hard, you'll stay out of trouble. You won't get bored. You say, wait a minute. Hard work is boring to me. No, if you'll choose to be a virtuous woman, you can learn to enjoy hard work. And it'll keep you out of trouble. God burned up Sodom because the women were idle. There is an error in much of Christianity, and that is that Christian woman, women ought to be taken care of by their husbands in such a way that they really live a life of leisure, and I'm not saying that about many of you. But there is that idea that the man goes off and brings home the bacon. And the woman sits at home, gets up, and has a cup of tea out on the deck. And as soon as she's done with her cup of tea, she picks up the telephone and wastes an hour talking to someone else. Then she drives around, goes shopping, works out, takes her time working out, of course, because she's got all day. About 4 o'clock, she calls her husband and tells him what a rough day he's, she's had. Would he mind picking up some pizza on the way home for supper? Now, that is a lot of American Christian women. That is not the Word of God. When you read Proverbs 31, and I'm not a, I'm not a male chauvinist pig, I'm just an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach the Bible. When I read Proverbs 31, that woman was a hard-working woman 
from before sunup until after sundown. Now, it is the ideal. Don't let Proverbs 31 destroy your life. That doesn't mean that when you read Proverbs 31 that you can excuse yourself and say, I'll never get close. Try to get close. It's just the ideal. So it's, it's a little intimidating. I'm glad that there's not a Proverbs 32. Aren't you men? Yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather preach about Proverbs 31 to the women than uh, read Proverbs 32 for the men. Amen. What a list. And remember, you women can't get mad at us because who wrote it? A woman. She wrote it for her son and said, son, don't marry less than what I'm about to tell you. Right. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. She works hard. You know, a godly woman is going to be known for her good works domestically. She's going to be a great wife, a great mother. What are some of those things we've run into that involve a woman? Great hospitality, great service. She's got lots of good works adorning her. That's a woman that's really got to ration her time and do well to get all that done. It'll keep you out of trouble. And you can learn to enjoy it. You can learn to love it. Because if you fear God, you know that's God's calling for your life. It's not to sit at home and have a life of leisure, some man who makes all the money and treats you like a royal highness or a princess. That is not in the Word of God. Amen. It's not in the Word of God at all. Just go read Proverbs 31. Don't let's not be like the daughters of Sodom or the daughters of the USA that are so idle today. What can you do to improve? You can eschew. That means hate and not do. Okay? The phone. The Internet, television, reading, chatting, primping, sleeping, shopping, recreation, amusement, entertainment, hobbies, and other time wasters. Women should cut those things out or down in their lives and commit themselves to more productive activities like the woman in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. She's not sitting around very often. What else is the, a, a great woman? She's influential. She fears God. She is gracious. She is very hardworking, and she's influential. That means she leaves an effect in the world. She leaves an effect in the world by helping her husband be a great man of God, by always being there to support him in every religious, spiritual endeavor of his life, and to remind him of those when he needs it. Mm -hmm. She is there to train up children and to leave an influence in godly children in the earth. And then when those children have children, she is an active grandmother by having godly grandchildren. They do not stop. Look at Lois and Eunice. One was a mother, one was a grandmother, and they did not give up on Timothy. They kept after him, and so that Paul could write of Timothy, the faith that was in your grandmother and then in your mother is now in you. And a few chapters later he would write that you have known the Holy Scriptures since you were a child because those two women taught them. A godly, a great woman leaves a godly influence. There is no other influence. We don't talk about how many diplomas a family got. We don't talk about how many children they had. It's how many godly, righteous, holy children they had. That's what matters in the sight of God and of men. Fears God, is gracious, works hard, and leaves an influence. Not only does she have a husband to influence, children, and hopefully grandchildren, she also has others that she touches their lives. Look at Dorcas. When Dorcas was on her deathbed, look at all the widows that were around her that had been helped by that woman. Because that woman was reaching out, as Proverbs 31 describes, to help other women. A great woman helps others. 
I've mentioned this before. Hannah weaned Samuel. We don't know if that was a two or four or six, but it was young. It was young. When she weaned him, she took him to the tabernacle, and it tells us that he worshipped the Lord there. Amen. Do you know what that woman had done with him? And I want to tell you something about Samuel. He was great in the Word of God. Right. He is one of the five great men in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And do you know why he's one of the five great men in the Bible? We don't read one thing about Elkanah doing for him. Right. We read everything about what Hannah did for him. You know, when Samuel's sons were wicked, they were totally different from their father. When their father gave up his position and Israel took a king, he was able to say with a clear conscience that he had never taken a bribe in his entire life or ever rested judgment in Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Where did that great character come from? A woman that never gave up on her child. And she must have packed a lot into the first five years, wouldn't you say? Because she gave him away when he was about five years old. A godly woman wants to have children, and she wants to teach them the fear of the Lord. You know, the whole world out there, getting a degree, get, they gradu- all my children graduate from high school. Well, good for you. The worms are going to eat you very quickly when you're in the grave, and no one's going to have a word for you later. I'm not against getting your high school diploma. I'm not against getting a college degree. But it's totally meaningless in the real measure of a great woman. A great woman is going to read the Bible and teach them to pray and teach them holy living and righteous standards and the law of thy mother. Proverbs 1.8 and 6.20, the law of thy mother. And it has nothing to do with doing your homework. It has everything to do with fearing the Lord. I don't want to hear about your children or your grandchildren except the state of their souls. Do they fear God and they love God? Every time I have to hear about something else, it nauseates me because it doesn't matter. Do they fear God? That's the religion of the Bible. Do they fear God? And that's what a great woman is going to do. Every little girl in here is going to be a grandmother someday, and she should be looked at that way, and she should be trained to be a grandmother. That little girl back there coughing in the back row, she's one year old, she's 14 months old. She's going to be a grandmother someday, and she ought to be looked at as a grandmother. She ought to be trained to be a grandmother, and only one kind of a grandmother. Not a grandmother that fixes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for her children when they come home from school and gives them a glass of cold milk. How touching. I'm deeply moved. The tears are running on the inside. You just can't see them. What matters for that that, that little girl is that she'll grow up and teach children to fear the Lord like Hannah did Samuel. And if a woman doesn't do that, she's failed in the fourth category. She fears God. She's gracious. Wonderful to be around. She's diligent, works very hard, and she leaves an influence of godliness and righteousness in the earth. Those are four simple goals for every girl and every woman to be a great woman. Fear the Lord, be gracious, be diligent, and leave an influence in the world for the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be salt in the earth by retarding the decay of the fairer sex that's going on in our society right now by showing them the glory of true womanhood. I love all my mothers and sisters and daughters in this church. May the Lord bless us to move forward in the year 2005 and to see a lot of holy women in this church. Amen.